Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story, we've got a podcast that is absolutely out of this world. Out of this world. Out of this world. So the cases that we're looking at are like those 5% that as of now cannot be explained through science or any type of rational explanation. He started making the approach to this object and that's when everything changed. Really? Then went straight down to the right, straight down to the surface of the ocean. And that's what we see on the show about it doing loops around the F-18 and pulling amazing G's and moving at crazy speeds. So now we have official video of these really unusual objects and we have trained professionals that can identify it. And every time I got out of the car, it was everywhere. It was just all around us. Say the U.S. government does come forward and say that, you know, extraterrestrial life does exist. How does that impact different religious beliefs? How does that impact the way, you know, certain societies, you know, look at themselves and look at things? Based on what you've observed, do you believe? From what I've seen, it kind of reinforces the idea that... What is that? We are not alone. 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 Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. All right, our next guest on the podcast, I say, is a friend of the show. He's a former... Marine intelligence officer, one of the Spec Ops Marsoc guys that does the work in the dark and never reports what they do. Uh, the owner and the founder of one incredible grooming line of men's grooming products for your beard called Stubble and Stash. And I'm really pleased to say your newest title is now Alien Hunter. And I think it's so cool. Nick Carnese, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you again. I started missing you for a little bit. I know, right? Dude, we had so much fun last time you were in because we were talking with uh, Sean Doolittle, your bearded brother over on the Washington Nationals, who uh, we got to have him back because... Uh, we do. We do. Actually, I was texting with him. He, he's been, been pretty busy. The Nats have been working him pretty hard this yeah. season. And uh, his ERA is kind of getting a little higher. We got to chat about that because I watched him against the Mets. And, oh, did you? Uh, yeah, he pulled it out. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was by the skin of their teeth. I mean, they were, yeah, they were one short and curly away from losing yeah, that game. And yeah. I was like, that's was, a tough game for Sean, though. So yeah. I don't blame him. Being a closer, it's like no fun. No. All right. Uh, your game, all over the place, man. Um, we'll get to the beard products in a little bit. Uh, Stubble and Stash, still moving and grooving. But I want to talk to you because when we were last talking, you're like, hey, I got this TV deal that might happen. I can't really say much about it. And then you and I both get busy. You know, I do a documentary called To Warn Back, and then you kind of just go off the radar for a while. And then I see you pop up a month or so ago, and you're like, check this show out on Discovery <laughs> Channel. It's called Contact. And it's about one of my damn favorite things, and that's UFOs and alien encounters. Um, 
Give me the 30,000 foot view of it, dude. Yeah, so I think the last time we talked, I was in LA sitting in a Mexican food restaurant and I was like, I need to talk to Phil. Cause you know, we we're talking about some other military related stuff. So like, I need to get your insights on this. Um, yeah, so the, the idea of the show, and I love this, right? Because we've all seen those memes with the guys like aliens, you know, they kind of sensationalize things or it's like- <laughs> The dude with the big, yeah, uh, with the yeah, big hair yeah, or whatever. Like, I'm gonna prove to you that this either exists or doesn't exist, right? Everyone has their camp. And what I love about the show and the team, you know, all of us, we come from, you know, some of the guys are from the CIA. You know, I'm from Special Operations Intelligence. Kawa, he's a former Green Beret Intel Sergeant. You know, my co-host, my co-host on my team, um, Sarah, she's an astrophysicist. And Paul, he's an Emmy Award-winning journalist. You know, you got Mike in the command center, who CIA, and then Dr. Livingston, who, uh, you know, he uh, he's amazing. He's, you know, just all over the place when it comes to, you know, um, why countries invade one another. And he's a, he's a battlefield historian, so he's just an expert in, like, why these things happen. And, uh, you know, the show is taking this approach like we use in the military when we're, we're targeting networks, right? Right. Um, we don't pick a specific event. We look at patterns. So we kind of zoom out and see what's happening. And are, you know, can these specific events when looked at, you know, at, at, at a pattern level, right? Can that tell us more about what's actually happening? So instead of investigating like one sighting, we investigate the sighting. Okay, is there anything else centered around that sighting? And then we just build out. Um, the pattern that we're seeing. And, and to me, that's fascinating because we are starting to see these patterns emerge that take us down roads that, you know, I never thought that they would. Very cool. And in fact, um, Mike Cole, the former CIA officer uh, that you referenced there that works at the command center, is really good at identifying patterns because he worked on the team that hunted Osama bin Laden. Yeah. And was able to, I'm sure, triangulate a lot of different message traffic and patterns and stuff that the PSYOPs guys were giving him and stuff that the signal intel guys were giving him. And he put that puzzle together so we could coordinate and then narrow down where that bastard was before before we smoked him. Um, I'll read the, uh, the description of the series here, too. What you're talking about is real... Real light and tight, and I love how it's worded. It said, at a turning point in UFO history, six experts deploy CIA-developed link analysis software, special ops intelligence training, I guess that's you, <laughs> and boots on the ground in journalism <laughs> in an unprecedented global investigation to determine if aliens have made contact with Earth. So freaking cool. I mean, it's, it's great. Let's talk the first episode, if we can. Yeah. Because I know it's going to be a series. We can't get to the end yet. But I watched episode one, and I'm all in, dude. Thanks. All in. Love it. I even told your publicist. It's like better than X-Files. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. You know? um, although, two X-Files, I'm going to say the close-ups that you give, or sometimes when they get your like eyes on camera and you lock eyes with the camera. Dude, I'll still take Jillian Anderson over you <laughs> any day. Because she's, you know. She's Jillian Anderson. I, you know, I can't believe you. I'll, I'll probably do the same. <laughs> Um, episode one starts and I love how the episode even begins. Um, the three questions, is there a God? What happens when you die? And do aliens exist? Everyone wants to know those questions. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you're from, where you live, you know, how you grew up. Everyone wants to know the answer to those three. Right. Um, you guys are using basically documents and data from this thing called a tip. Uh, before I forget a tip stands for like aviation. So it's the advanced aerial threat. Identification program, I think. Yeah, basically. something like yeah. that. Okay, that sounds official. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Talk to me about where all this data that this computer software is analyzing. Mm -hmm. How did you get your hands on this treasure trove of, of, of things? So there are a number of sources of information. So, uh, you know, ATIP, which is the, the Pentagon's uh, program that looked into these aerial phenomenon, 
Um, that story broke a little bit ago. Uh, and so that yeah, kind of kicked years us ago, off. Yeah, think, a couple right? years ago. Yeah. But another big thing, the CIA declassified a bunch of documents. Hmm. Um, and for a while, they were only held in a repository. So you had to go to that um, archive to sort through these thousands of pages. Um, but, you know, those of us in the intelligence community, we love a lot of information. But the problem is making heads or tails of it, right? So we have access to all these different sources of information, but using the software that the headquarters team is using back at the command center, they're able to, you know, quickly search these tens of thousands, if not millions of pages of documents. And on top of that, um, we're layering in social media, right? So we'll have reports, official reports, um, you know, government reports, local reports, but then we can go and, and look at social media for any publicly posted um, items that correspond to the reports that we're seeing. So a lot of the witnesses that we're able to track down, we do so through social media. And so that's Whoa. what's fascinating because we even do, I mean, we would do that in special operations community, right? Like, you know, you have your, your uh, collectors on the ground collecting information, you know, you have your other intelligence disciplines, whether it's SIG and Emmett, whatever, but then you look at social media and you get those atmospherics of what the average person's saying. And then you layer that on top of the actual intelligence that you, the intelligence that you've collected to paint a better picture. So to me, it's like amazing that we're able to use this technology to quickly sort through, you know, terabytes of information uh, to get a lead and to uh, see these patterns. That's amazing um, because you're right. You, you know, huge bright light in the sky. I mean, the military will have its report, you mm -hmm. know, uh, wherever Ellsworth Air Force Base, middle of nowhere, South Dakota. But there's other people out there that probably saw that bright light and they don't, you know, their stuff isn't under lock and key. I mean, it's a Twitter post. Yeah. Hey, man, did you see that crap you in the sky last night? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can just track down whoever posted that. And this software thing scans for all that. I thought that was, I thought that was just so cool. Threat identification program. That kind of says it all. Talk to me about why, with respect to threats, you guys all brought up some very interesting points in the first episode about why we should be examining this. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, threat, especially from a DOD perspective, right? You know, DOD's job is to protect our country against, you know, all threats, both foreign and domestic. And uh, so there is that concern. Uh, and, and I think that was really stoked when some of those videos came out that were released uh, by, by the Department of Defense. You know, the Tic Tac video that we uh, aired in episode one, um, you know, because it's one thing to have your average person saying they saw something maneuvering around. It's another thing to have trained naval aviators and pilots witnessing this and then having it on their, you know, cameras, on their aircraft cameras. Um, those the different sensors that they carry. So that right there is compelling. And I think that's what initially sparked the public's interest in this because, you know, now we have official video of these really unusual objects and we have trained professionals that can identify it. So, I mean, right away, those witnesses are insanely credible, in my opinion. And then on top of that, you know, we're not we're, we're, we're taking an open mind. You know, everyone on the team, we're curious. We don't have an agenda. We're not like, oh, yeah, I believe this and I'm going to prove it. Right. Because if you have that bias, that's huge in the intelligence community. You don't go into anything with the bias. If you try to prove something, you're going to look and pick out the pieces of information that proves your point and you're going to ignore the things that disprove your point. So ah. we're taking this approach of, hey, let's just see where the data takes us. You know, when we started filming, I never imagined we would end up, you know, spoiler alert for episode two, you know, <laughs> in Mexico. Right. And then the other team, we were, we were introduced to them in episode two. They, they start out in South America. You know, like we thought we we're going to be focusing on U.S. based phenomenon. But now we're making these connections. You know, something that occurred here in the States is almost exactly like something that occurred in another country. Um, so I think that's what's getting people is because we are taking this approach of let's logically look at this phenomenon. Right. And what you don't see in episode one, there are so many sightings that we're just able to roll out through natural phenomenon, you know, natural phenomenon, aircraft, because, you know, our eyes can play tricks on us. 
So the cases that we're looking at are like those 5% that as of now cannot be explained through science or any type of rational explanation. Mm. Do you think it's important that we as human beings living down here on our dumb little planet know what the hell these things are about? Because, I mean, let's face it, they could, as proved in the very first episode, these things can outmaneuver any aircraft, any kind of things we have, right? Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. We, you know, we're not making the conclusion that what we're seeing right now are you know, extraterrestrial, right? That the the okay. information is, is taking us down that road, but the possibility exists that another country could have some insanely advanced technology. And that's really important. You know, if there is another country name, you know, you know we're not going to throw countries out there, but no, you know, but look, look, there's a short list. There's right a now. short list. <laughs> and mean, if, if they were able to make that technological leap, like absolutely, we need to know that because right now, if they're running circles around our fighter jets, you know, our fighter planes and everything else, I mean, that's huge. And we need to be able to counter against that, whether it's through air defense systems or, or whatnot. Um, you know, so that that's where the threat comes in. And, you know, when it's talking about like an extraterrestrial threat to our planet, that, that that's also a concern, you know, but it's 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 just compelling. I think most of us just want to know what is causing this. And let's face it. I mean, like our go to with our military backgrounds is, yeah, I mean, you see some sketchy shit out there. Uh, scientists might want to know what that is. What is that anomaly? We're like. Can it hurt me? And do I have to kill it now? Yeah, I right. mean, that's that's my go-to. You yep. know, if there's a noise in the backyard, you know, I'm not trying to discover if it's a bear or a coyote. I'm trying to discover if it's within range of my 22. Yeah, is right. what I'm trying to discover. <laughs> is it hostile? Am I okay? Can I go back to sleep? <laughs> um, let's talk about specifics. Uh, episode one starts with what I thought was really cool about it is it goes over sight and sound, and we'll talk a little bit about both. Um, Beginning in the episode with uh, the old Navy senior chief from yeah. the USS Nimitz, Yut. a carrier guy like myself, love it. I, when I was in the carrier Navy, even back in the nineties, like pre nine 11, um, that was a frequently talked about thing. Really? Pilots always had some stories or you always, maybe it wasn't even so much pilots, but on my level, on the E4 deck plate level, we were talking to the guys that worked in Catsy and we talked to the guys that worked in ops control and the air boss's office and they always had stories about shit they saw that just, you're never going to believe this, man. This was on our radar. And it was like, <laughs> shoom, zipped right off. And, and, and we love those stories, but we were never really acknowledged. It was just the funny stuff that we talked about, you know, on the mess decks. Uh, this senior chief, share with me a little bit of his story. So he, uh, he had an amazing story, and he's by far, um, you know, he was great to talk to. Because another credible military witness, right? right. He has experience in this, like his job is essentially to protect the par uh, carrier battle group from air threats. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing I think that came to everyone's mind, could this be a technical glitch? And and we asked him that, you know, during the interview, and he went through the protocol that they did to reset the systems and to confirm that what they were picking up on the scope wasn't a, a glitch amongst the ships and the equipment. And specifically what they were seeing in carrier air traffic control was uh, uh, some kind of object. Yep. It was on their radar. Yep. And he dispatched... What he dispatched a fighter jet to go, yeah, he, lock on it, right? He dispatched two, um, and uh, and it wasn't just one; it was it was multiple objects on a scope, and it wasn't just over the course of a day; it was over the course of multiple days. So they had been tracking these objects coming down and then traveling south near the battle group. Yeah, and like I'll do throughout this podcast, um, here's a little clip of your interview with that senior chief. We went out there primarily to do individual ship training. I started noticing these really anomalous tracks, unlike nothing I'd ever seen before. And these objects were coming into my radar coverage 
There was probably 10 objects in the sky. 10. And, uh, and yeah, after a while, I mean, you're part of your professional responsibility. You need to go look at this. And they dispatched the fighters. Um, they went, ran intercept track, got there. And then that's what we see on the show about it, doing loops around the FA-18 and pulling amazing Gs and moving at crazy speeds. Um, and it, it threw everyone for a loop. You know, the pilots, you know, the guys in, in, in uh, you know, on the ships, like they're all like, what the, you know, what yeah. is that? And they, no one had a rational explanation for it. D started making the approach to this object and that's when everything changed. Well, this thing did a barrel roll around his aircraft. Really? Then went straight down to the, right, straight down to the surface of the ocean. He went following it down. And as soon as he went like that, this thing popped straight back out of the water, back up to 28,000 feet. What? Um, and they, they were able to rule out any technical glitches. Um, and, you know, of all the known systems that we have in the U.S. military, didn't match any capabilities. Uh, you know, the question is, could this have been, um, you know, an advanced drone testing that we did? But then why would you... There are protocols for that. You're not. Why gonna, would they not know that yeah. they're testing some kind of drone shit in an operating area yep. off the coast of San Diego, where you got a carrier strike group performing exercises? Yeah, I mean, you would never. Well, maybe you would, but like it, it, it defies you know SOP, right? Like to test a classified drone in such close proximity to a carrier battle group without giving a heads up. You know, it's like yeah. that's. I mean, you, that's just asking for an accident. Talk to me about uh, the movement of the thing. Now, obviously, we've said that it came onto their radar and the, you've got, you saw the video of the F-A-18s that, that, that saw it, locked it on their radar, and then it just poom, beat feet and got the hell out of there and they disappeared in a matter of seconds. He talked specifically about the G-forces mm -hmm. and how it went horizontal. I mean, how it wasn't just horizontal, but it was like vertical and it, it dove towards the ocean and then pick it up from there. Like, yeah, so I mean, they the, the G-forces it was pulling just from essentially like a stop and go and, and I forgot how many like, I think you mentioned over a thousand G's when they did the math, you know, what that object was pulling with the way that it was maneuvering. And if anything biological would have been in that thing, given uh, Newtonian physics, classical physics, it would have turned you into mush. There's no way you could withstand that type of G-force. I think the human body can withstand about eight G's. This thing had 1,350 G's. You'd have been paced. It literally um, gives me chills listening to this. Yeah. Um, and then it, there was also some disturbance in the water um, when it dropped down. And he, he mentioned that when the aircraft maneuvered towards it, it knew that the aircraft were maneuvering towards it and it essentially took evasive actions. Um, so it was responding to what our fighters were doing. So it, it wasn't just some random thing, you know, cruising around some like atmospheric anomaly, right? This thing just demonstrated some intelligent control, um, which, which was fascinating to all of us and, and especially concerning to them because you know, you listen to some of the other interviews that the pilots have done and they, they'll admit like they had no way to defend against this. You know, if this was a hostile craft, they had there was nothing they could do because they're just so outgunned, you know, from a maneuverability perspective. Uh, cool as shit, man. Cool. All right. Let's go to let's go to sound. I thought this was really cool. You and your partner in the field, Sarah Credis. Mm -hmm. She is a journalist. Yep. And uh, oh, Thanks for the call on that one, too, by the way. You hey. partnered up with a journalist. Hello, I'm a military journalist. True, true, but do you have an astrophysics background? Well, no, but, I mean, you know, how hard, yeah. how hard is that? I'll just, you know. Just take an online course. You'll be good. <laughs> I'll just bone up on some astrophysics, right? <laughs> astrophysics for dummies. Come on, how much of that is she actually using? No, but uh, you and Sarah headed down on another contact 
or another witness to an incident. And this one I thought was really cool because you did use that software analysis to sort of extrapolate it from what one incident was recorded into finding possible eyewitnesses through social media. Talk to me about what happened in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, so it started with with the the unusual sound in the dome, right? And that was recorded, and there could be a number of explanations for that. But then we were able. And the to, dome, you're talking about like where the uh, like where the football team plays, or or the it was a baseball team. I think it was a baseball game. Okay, yeah. Okay, people uh, observed a, a like a weird noise, uh, all attending a baseball game. So you're talking thousands of people all reporting this yeah. noise. And even the commentators mentioned it. They're like, "That's a strange sound." So we have. Huh. I think it might be on on um, you know it's online. What is that? Is that wind? Look, I've got social media hits. But that's kind of what kicked that off, where, where the commentators think, like, that's a weird sound. And then the other people in the stadium hearing it, it's like, okay, this is compelling. Um, but then we were able to find other posts from people miles away from the stadium that heard the same sound or a similar sound. So we have this unusual sound at the stadium, and then we have witnesses, ear witnesses, reporting the same sound pretty much at the exact same time. It's like, okay. Now we need to go talk to these folks, see if it's a similar sound. Because also, I mean, we do have some military bases down there, SOCOM's base down there. Oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, so there could be a number of things. But and McDill or something's yeah, down, there. down there? I mean, I think SOCOM's down there, Yeah, right? SOCOM, CENTCOM, uh, McDill, they have their own aviation component there as well. Um, so there is a military presence down there. And and so, of course, the first question is, could this have been some sort of military aircraft, right? Right. Um, and, and so that's why we want to start talking to the witnesses and kind of understand the sound and, uh, you know, we quickly learn that the sound heard at the stadium is pretty much the same sound that was heard five miles away outside. And then to take it a step further, we were able to get audio files of both, which to me and also to Sarah, I mean, that's amazing. If we can actually now apply some science and run some like hard analytics against these these waveforms, um, these sound files and, and better understand what could be causing it. This is the noise. What is that? I hope the video is picking it up. And then it trails off there. And uh, yeah, as the, as the episode one un, un, unrolls, like we see that the sound, you know, our audio forensic expert, he's never heard anything like that before. And he can, with a high degree of confidence, confirm that the, the sound recorded at the stadium is the same sound recorded miles away by these uh, individuals standing outside their homes. Mm. Super cool. I mean, just it, it just... It had validation through every step, and it wasn't just corny or campy, and it also wasn't like hyper paranoid or hyper conspiracy theory. It was like, okay, this went down, and here's a guy that witnessed it, and oh, look, you got a video. Compare the sounds. It was just cool. It was jaw-dropping for me as a guy that does auditory stuff for a living oh, I bet. or makes podcasts to say that you, you narrowed it down, and the guy broke it down into a, a, a sound that happened between 100 and 300 hertz. And it didn't match any other already existing noise that he had observed. Planes, helicopters, trains, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has this database of sounds that he ran it against. Like, I forgot how many tens of thousands of, of sounds that he ran it against. And, right. and, and he said that, you know, if he had a pick, he would think it's wind. But then he went on to explain why it wasn't wind, you know, because wind oscillates, right? Like, it's not a, you don't have a constant wind speed. Right, you know, right. In hurricanes, when you have heavy winds, you still have gusts, right? There, there's still going to be sure. a change in the frequency, and that wasn't demonstrated on these audio files. It was just a straight, steady, constant. <laughs> what is that? 
That's so cool. And to be in the studio when he like isolated the sound and cranked up the volume, I mean, it comes across, you know, on the show, but like actually being in the studio and hearing that, it really gives you an appreciation when, when the witnesses were talking about, it was just like this all encompassing sound that just like surrounds you. And both Sarah and I are like, what? It was was something else. Hey, to that point, let's do something really quick. Put your headphones on. Can you hear me now? All right, cool. I have some sounds here that I have, and uh, some of them are actual extraterrestrials, and some of them are sound effects, and I just want to know, based on your experience now after episode one, you've got a lot of training. Try this one. Mm Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. Actual extraterrestrial or um, sound effect? So when we say extraterrestrial, we're talking about a sound that originated off the planet? (laughs) Uh, No follow-up questions. You just have to say. That 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 sounds like something I heard in a movie. Okay. All right. You're right. It's a sound effect from my production (laughs) library. Okay. How about about this one? That also sounds like a movie, but I'm going to go bold. I'm going to say that's extraterrestrial. <laughs> no, uh-uh, no, that's actually my voice backwards. <laughs> okay. I mean, we haven't confirmed that you're, you know, not an extraterrestrial, so. <laughs> I'm not an alien. <laughs> I can't be an alien. I was born here in this country. hey <laughs> That's a different topic. Okay, this one. That sounds like a cool intro to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a that's completely a sound effect. Uh, how long can he make this stupid game go on, folks? We don't know. Let's see. Oh, okay, here's a, all right, get to the punchline already. Okay, here. All right, how about this one? ET phone. Straight up ET. Yeah, dude. That's totally an alien, right? (laughs) That is certifiable. Uh, Yeah. Still still one of the greatest movies ever. All right. Oh, absolutely. Now, I don't want to give away more of the episodes, but again, you're going to now, with respect to the show, um, continue down this path. And you're the the supercomputers cranking out leads. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you're following up on these leads, and it's you, a couple of, like, another field team, yep. and then um, Mike Cole and Dr. Livingston back in Mission Control and, and, and coordinating all these sightings. Is there anything you can tease me with about what to, like, about what's coming up or, like, what's, like, Ooh, what to suspect? Is yeah, there, it's, like, uh, how cool does this shit get? It gets real cool. It's just building. Like, I love the first episode, um, seeing that all come together. And then the second episode, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I know you haven't watched it yet. Right. No, I know. You got some no. responsibilities that keep you, uh, keep, kept you away from it last <laughs> it's night. It's at 10 p.m. I it's got a, kids. You know? Yeah, I feel you. Um, it just keeps building. And, and it keeps taking us in some unusual directions. And we don't see the episodes before they air. Mm. So I'm not sure what story is going to be told, but I know in episode three, it could get interesting um, because, you know, I, I, I don't know how it's going to. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But okay. what we filmed and what we uncovered, I mean, it just keeps building. And now that we have the second team in play with uh, Kawa and Paul, uh, those two are amazing. I mean, they're they're heavy hitting. So um, knowing what they looked into in South America, I mean, we are all just like sitting back like, oh, my God, did that just happen? Um, so the the uh, the plot only thickens. OK. And, uh, you know, going into it, I don't think any of us imagined that it was going to develop the way that it developed because we just keep identifying more patterns that pull us in different directions and new directions and making these connections that we never thought to make. Like, you know, this initial one between sightings and sound. You know, I I think most of us think of, you know, UFOs as weird lights in the sky. Um, But to have that connection between an audio sighting 
and then connecting it to a visual and that taking us, you know, north to Virginia, right? Right across the border from where we are right now. Yeah. Um, more of that continues to happen in different different areas, different realms. Okay. And uh, but, yeah. but, but it's going to go global now. We're not just going to be in the United States. We're right, right. moving so, on to other countries. So episode two is the first time we go global. And uh, we're, gonna, we're coming back to the States. We have more stuff in the States, but we have a lot more international um, information because interestingly enough, a lot of foreign governments are very open about their sightings. So here, you mm. know, the, the U.S. military seems very, you know, kind of close hold, um, which is understandable. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but um, you know, the people that we came across, you know, in Me- so episode two, Sarah and I are in Mexico and everyone we met is just so welcoming and just amazing. And they want to know what's going on. They have a genuine curiosity. Like, how can I help? Like, this is what I got. This is what I know. None of them are like, you know, because you meet some people like it's aliens and this is why. Everyone's like, we ask him, what do you think? It's like, I really don't know. And that's why I want to talk to you because it kind of took me back. I was like, oh, wow, what's that? Um, that's cool. And they're government officials doing that because actually that's one of my next questions, sort of like outside of the show, but in your personal life, you know, we all have military connections. We still know people in the, yeah. that are active or we still know people that work at the Pentagon or stuff like that. Have you had anybody like push back on you or say, you know, yeah, Carnese, you're stupid. It's just, it's just a stupid TV show. There's no such thing. Or, or has the government pushed back on the creators of the show at all, saying you shouldn't be talking about this? Not that I know of. Um, all, I, I did. Uh, I leveraged a few of my contacts, uh, and everyone, you know, has been very supportive. Oh, okay. Uh, to the extent that they can be, right? Like it's, you know, one of those things. If we're talking about, you know, special access programs, we're not getting any information about that. Hmm. Or are we? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or are they? You're the guy because you were a military intel officer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I know how this game's played. They, they didn't um, give you this job for nothing, dude. I mean, no, you got to put no, out. It's not I mean, just my handsome, rugged, good looks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it definitely leverage the military contacts, and I know Kawa did. And then Sarah, she has a lot of contacts within this private space sector, mm. um, and she leveraged hers. And then same with Paul. You know, he has a lot of investigative journalist friends who have government contacts as well. So, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're here because we do have access to people. And um, to date, as far as I know, the studio hasn't received any pushback. Um, I, more than anything, everyone's really curious. You know, I've got friends cool. that are, uh, you know, in some 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 spooky organizations and they're yeah. watching the show like, oh, that was great. It's, you know, it's fun to watch. Um, My brother loves the show and he worked at the Pickle Factory for 32 years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we all want to know these questions, yeah. right? Like we all want to know the answers to these questions. Since you are a military intel guy, uh, can I just ask sort of, again, not really specific to the show, but like, why is it that the U.S. military and moreover the military or the entire U.S. government has this attitude about aliens that's similar to like, I don't know, your like older parents attitude about sex. You know, we know it exists. We just don't talk much don't about, talk about it. it. Let's not talk about the details and, and uh, keep your pants on. Um, why do they, why are they so tight lipped? Why has it taken decades since, I mean, these sightings aren't new to the damn military. No. Why are we just now doing this in 2019? Well, I think that that's, that's a wonderful question. And, and, you know, I'm not going to speculate why the government, well, maybe I will. It's tough because let's, there, there are a few roads we can go down, right? Like maybe these aren't UFOs and this is all classified government work. That's a possibility. Hmm. So you probably don't want to talk about that. Um, maybe they are extraterrestrial and the government doesn't know what to do. So as a government whose job is to, you know, look after the country and protect us, would you want to come forward and be like, Hey guys, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is a threat, right? That kind of reduces your position. Um, that's another option. Or it could be that, you know, they've looked into it and it's not, they've deemed it unimportant. And so like, let's just not talk about it. So, 
Um, you know, we could hypothesize all day. Right, right. But I think it's getting to the point where it's going to need to be addressed, especially because other governments are already doing this. And uh, yeah, I, I think this is just one more step in kind of making it okay to talk about it. Because also, let's think about it. Let's say the U.S. government does come forward and say that, you know, extraterrestrial life does exist. How does that impact different religious beliefs? How does that impact the way, you know, certain societies, you know, look at themselves and look at things? Um, so there are some, you know, second and third order effects that need to yeah. be considered. So, um, you know, while we don't know why, you know, uh, the government isn't speaking more about it, um, there are a number of possibilities. And, you know, for me being a former military guy, and and I know with the current climate, you know, people don't necessarily believe this, but, you know, as you saw within the military, you know, our, our number one goal, we're all patriots. We all care about the safety of our country and our citizens. And, uh, you know, we're going to do our best to protect that. And uh, I just have faith that the leadership, you know, within the military is doing what they feel is best you right, know, for right. our country. And, you know, let's go with that. But and, not- and, and they did, to their credit, declassify yeah. this stuff. And there has been other stuff dating back to like the 1950s and 60s that's been declassified. I think some of that is actually what got all the people riled up about doing the uh, camp out at near Area 51. Yeah, right. And like, <laughs> storm, storm Area 51. Storm the gates. Storm the gates. I've Don't those- do that. <laughs> no, definitely. Do, do, Highly recommend against doing that. Do not do that. But it is interesting how the foreign governments are way more open about it, which leads me to believe that one of those hypotheses, hypotheses that you just suggested uh, is more accurate than the other. And that is our government, and this is just me saying this, but I'm going to go on record and say that our government doesn't want to admit that we don't know what the hell to do about this. Right? I yeah. mean. Yeah, and, and also it kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, we we know that we have classified programs doing some amazing stuff. And generally speaking, you know, what is classified now is normally about 10 to 20 years more advanced than what we currently know. You right. know, roughly that's just back of the napkin kind of math. Um, but what's interesting to me is like, you know, knowing the way that the government works, like we have test sites, you know, we have areas where we test sensitive things. Um, but what's interesting, we're seeing similar sightings across the globe in areas that you wouldn't expect to see, say, our military aircraft. So the fact that, you know, countries in South America that are friendly to us, you know, why would we be deploying classified drone technology down there to test it, right? When sure. we have plenty of other places to do it. And that's one of the things like, you know, kind of behind the scenes we talk about, you know, when we always go back to the question, could this be government? Well, would it be U.S. government? Why would U.S. government be down there? Right, you know, right, It doesn't right. make sense. You know, it logically doesn't make sense. Okay, is this country capable of that type of technology and knowing the country is like high probability now? All right. Well, more great shit to come. You're traveling the world. We got more evidence of aliens. Uh, I guess the ultimate question here, and this really isn't about the show either, but based on what you've observed, do you believe? So uh, growing up in New Mexico, right, um, we were surrounded by the whole Roswell thing and everyone kind of talks about it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you are yeah, from New Mexico. And my, my father is a, uh, he's a neurologist and he was a traveling doctor and he'd make the rounds. Um, and I remember this is back in the 90s and some of his patients were around when Roswell happened. And, uh, you know, talking to the patients and they share stories and, and some firsthand accounts were shared with my dad, which he then passed along to my sister and I. And that was very compelling. So, you know, I, again, though, with that intelligence mindset, there is a lot of compelling evidence. I think statistically, it's impossible that we're alone in the universe. But now the question becomes, you know, is that life that's off planet still around? And is that society advanced enough to reach us? And uh, from what I've seen, it kind of reinforces the idea that we are not alone in the universe. And this show has furthered that belief. And I don't want to give too much away because it does continue to build and people are going to be like, what? 
Um, so yeah, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. Oh, the Carnese campfire must have just been cool as shit, and your kids are going to get an even cooler experience now. You know, to pass along wait. to your kids. <laughs> oh, that's that's just awesome. Uh, other awesome things you're doing: beards. Yeah, the Beard Brothers, man. You still got the beard, still rocking the beard. I noticed. By the way, really cool cutaways done in the show where like it catches you just as a glance at the camera and know, you get right? the, the full rocking beard. That's uh I that's wish awesome. I, I wish I could have promoted Stubble and Stash on the show, but what I was doing, I think we talked about it last time, we just launched uh the SPF thirty. So it's the world's first facial moisturizer with SPF thirty that you can put on your beard or guys that are balding can put it on the top of their head. And I was testing that throughout our travels. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it did really well. So, nice. you know, it was kind of a blend of filming. And we'd have a break and I'd do, you know, some, you know how it goes, content generation. Um, Always so. making it, baby. Uh, Stubble and Stash going through, uh, you know, some changes in the product line. What do you got? Obviously, we're integrating some SPF stuff. Did I hear you right? Did you guys put THC in it? or uh, you were No, no. Going so, to put THC? so we've been experimenting with some CBD. C- CBD. So. Um, and, and what I'm doing, it's like, you know, I've been doing this for, what, six years now? The company's been around for six years. And right. I kind of finally feel like I know what I'm doing. Um, but we're, we're not quite there yet. So uh, <laughs> uh, we... Um, we uh, are making the line a little bit more um, cohesive. Okay. So some of the products have been in the old packaging. Um, so heading into the holiday season, we're going to have all of the products in the new packaging. We're bringing back our beard balm. We're making some tweaks. And we're also going more towards the all-natural organic route. Hmm. Um, I found this amazing chemist who specializes in these types of products. And as the brand continues to evolve, we're going to get into uh, transparency about our ingredients. Um, who actually is farming them. And I'm working on this initiative to work with veteran farmers. So be like, oh yeah, this lavender extract was grown on this farm by this person. So you know exactly where the ingredients are coming oh, from. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm totally stoked. And also agriculture, we've learned that actually it's a good treatment for PTSD. And so some transitioning veterans that leave the military, ag is a great industry for them to get into. So the ultimate goal is to have a network of veteran farmers that grow the raw ingredients for our products. And then we turn those raw plant ingredients into the actual ingredients that go into to our, our products. So starting to make moves on that and uh, have oh, connections nice. at USDA. Like there's a Marine at USDA um, who's helping me out. He's like, oh, you want veteran farmers? I got some veteran farmers. Like this is perfect. So that is so cool. I just actually just yesterday interviewed uh, the YouTube sensation, uh, Stony Ridge Farmer. Okay. And he's an Air Force veteran. Oh, really? That has a whole YouTube channel dedicated to him flipping this old piece of tobacco land in North Carolina and making it a first generation farm. Wow. But like when he bought the land, it was overgrown, weed covered, no nutrients in the soil whatsoever. I mean, it was just a, you know, a oh. dusty square. And he's now got it 200 acres growing grass, nice. getting ready to integrate cattle. He's got chickens and goats, but it's, you're right for the vet. So many cases prove that like just getting out there and working with your hands, getting in yeah. the soil, getting in the earth. So cathartic, so good for the mind, body and soul. And, um, now with stubble and stash integrating that it's good for the beard. And right. that is a uh, super cool, man. I still Thank have you. yet to grow mine past the little white it goatee. Good, though. I like it. You know what I call this? You can use this if you want, maybe. But if you have like a goatee balm or something for like the short hairs, yeah. like me, that just have a little stubble that forms the goatee, I've named it. All right. Tell me if you like this. <clears throat> the smooth criminal. <laughs> right? Because I mean, I like it, it. It says I'm a little dangerous, yeah. but at the same time. But also put together. I'm smooth. Got, got a little, little edge to me. I got I got a little soul patch and then, the you know, the smooth criminal. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love it. Well, we got to get you some of the moisturizer, hydrate you. That'd be great for what you got going on. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm so glad that you're continuing to honor your brother through uh, Stubble and Stash, man, your brother that you served with. Yeah, Justin uh, Hansen, who's KIA July 24th, 2012. 
so cool, man. He would be so proud, and uh, you know we're all proud, man. You're doing 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 some awesome things from uh, the beard balm and a living tribute to a friend that gave it all to uh, now your foray into science and uh, right. alien life forms on the Discovery Channel. Tell me about Contact. Where do we see it? How do I find it? So Contact airs every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, and you can also get on the Discovery Go app, uh, and it's also on the Science Channel. Mm. And then for overseas uh, viewers, it's yeah. actually showing in the UK on Discovery UK. And the first two episodes are unlocked for free. So if you don't have, you know, if you cut the cord, um, you can download the Discovery Go app. And you can check out the first two episodes. Yeah, and in fact, in preparation for the interview, I was watching it on go.discovery.com. First two episodes are there. Nice. And you can find that online. Again, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m., replayed on the Science Channel on Thursdays. Nick Carnese, Marine, veteran, beard brother, and now alien hunter. Always glad to have you on the show, buddy. Hey, I appreciate it. Always good seeing you. Yeah, man.